Welcome to the Connections Chat Podcast, where we talk about all things mental health. We believe that connecting with others through honest conversation is our greatest tool in breaking down the stigma that is often associated with mental illness. My name is Lauren Sepulvador, and today we're going to be having one of those conversations. Thank you for listening. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week of Connection Chat. I've got Sydney Reese here with me today. Hey, Sydney. Hi, I'm so <laughs> excited to be here today. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. So we can get started with your introduction. Sydney Reese is a licensed professional counselor and has been with Connections Wellness Group for over two years. She currently serves as a regional director of integration. She completed her master's in counseling at the University of North Texas in 2015 and has worked in several health care settings since then. She's a huge true crime podcast fan and loves spending time with her dog. <laughs> Love it. Yes, she is what we call high maintenance. What kind of dog do you have? <laughs> she is a Yorkie Poo. Oh my gosh. She's I have so adorable. two Shih Tzus and they are just like the female one is the biggest diva. Oh, yeah. <laughs> diva. Hardcore. Hardcore. But I also encourage it. So it's fine. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can totally relate to that. So for today's episode, Sydney reached out and wanted to talk about burnout and working in the healthcare setting. So we can get started with that. What's your definition of burnout? My definition of burnout is a little bit different than the traditional, what we would consider burnout. You know, clinicians are working day in, day out, sometimes hearing the most difficult stories, um, talking with people on their worst day. Um, And so what we traditionally talk about burnout is clinicians are just tired. They don't feel like they can provide the best care because of other circumstances, whether it's time or policies and procedures that are kind of in the way. Um, And so what I like to call burnout um, in the true sense is really compassion fatigue. Mm. Um, So working with only teenagers or only children or only couples sometimes can be really challenging. So our clinicians here at Connections, we really try to make sure that they have a, a pretty wide array of, of clients that they're seeing so that they really enjoy and love the work that they're doing. Um, and as administrators, we try to take all of the barriers out of the way so that they can provide that that health care, um, that best care that, that their clients need. Absolutely. And do you feel like the word burnout kind of limits what clinicians are going through? Absolutely. Um, it, to me, feels almost a little bit victim shaming. Mm. Um, so a clinician isn't a good enough clinician because they can't manage their own stress. When in reality, what sometimes happens in organizations is moral injury. So policies and procedures or administrators and their decision-making processes are asking clinicians oftentimes, whether that be a therapist, a mental health tech, a a physician, um, just asking clinicians to violate their values and what they believe would be the best care and the best decisions in the best interest Mm. of the patient. And so what we try to do at Connections and what I try to do as a leader is to, like I said, eliminate those barriers and so that moral injury doesn't occur. I really love the term moral in- injury. I've never even heard that before. <laughs> yeah, so it's um, something that was is really used a lot in 
the military setting or the, or the wartime setting. Oh. Um, so moral injury occurs when your leaders, there's an emphasis on leadership responsibility in this. When moral injury occurs when your leaders ask you to do things that would violate your morals or your values. So some of the stories that you might hear in a wartime setting, um, that's where that Oh. thought process came out of. And we we already talk about our healthcare workers being on the front lines. We use that language around wartime. And so why not apply that principle that was identified and developed in treating veterans and military when we're also talking about taking care of our healthcare providers? I love hearing you talk about this because anytime I'm on LinkedIn or looking at articles of burnout, it's always geared towards the individual. Like, what can you do? How did you let it get this way? How can you stop it from happening in the future? But listening to you talk about it, it's really more of an organization structure and the leadership and checking in with clinicians and employees and making sure that you do everything that you can so it doesn't get to that point for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the responsibility of um, executives and leadership in any organization to try and mitigate anything that would get in the way of a clinician providing best care for their patients. So I think about when I worked at other organizations, if something bad happened, we would get another piece of paper thrown at us or another procedure that we had to do to kind of cover ourselves if that happened again in the future. Um, Those things are all great and they meet regulatory compliance standards, but if we were just able to take care of our staff so that they could provide care for their patients in the best way possible, then we may never need that extra Mm. piece of paper. And so it's our responsibility as administrators to eliminate those roadblocks for our clients. I love that. I've never heard it talked about this way, which it definitely needs to be talked about more. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad that we're talking about this. Yeah, I'm super passionate about this. Um, We do lots of different things here at this organization to try and mitigate those things. I think there is always room for improvement, Um, but I think it's so important for us to be on the front line of innovation and kind of changing things in our system so that we can change things throughout the healthcare system. Yeah, because like you said, the work that clinicians are doing is so heavy. Mm-hmm. And hearing people's worst stories, being with patients on their worst days, that's not something where you can just, like a normal office job, just go home and not mm-hmm. talk to anybody about it and not mm-hmm. have practices mm-hmm. in place to really help them with that. Absolutely. And there is no doubt that that is hard. Like we, that's part of why we need to eliminate those barriers. Um, But if we talk about it more as compassion fatigue, that just hearing those stories is so hard and we need a safe place for our clinicians to land as well, because they're holding that space for their clients. We need to create a safe space for our clinicians to land at the end of the day, whether that be um, in a a Facebook self-care page or um, sending a kind word we we as administrators have to create that space for them where they can experience that compassion fatigue but not feel like they're being judged because man I just can't hear one more terrible story today right 
Yeah. So just so you guys know, whenever Sydney came in and I was setting up the gear to record, she was like, just so you know, my definition of burnout is completely different. So I'm throwing away all the questions that I originally typed out and we're just winging it today. So what inspired you to go into mental health care? Um, so just a lot of things that I have personally been through in my life. Um, I was all ready to, I was a pre-med student, um, ready to go into physical therapy. Um, I applied, I did my internships, I got accepted, don't tell my parents, (laughs) Um, sorry mom, but I was really just, I literally woke up one morning and thought to myself, you know, this just doesn't feel like the best fit. Mm. Um, Growing up, my friends always joked that I was the mom of the group. Um, and I've always just been really good at relationships and trying to better relationships and helping other people better their relationships. And so this just really felt like a good fit. I applied at UNT. Um, and I just feel like I've been in the right place at the right time um, since then. I love to hear that. And talking with people that are in the mental health care world, it's not easy work, but it's so rewarding. So Mm -hmm. I love to hear when people say, like, this is my calling and I'm in the right place. Like, how you feel? Absolutely. It's I can't imagine myself doing anything other than what I'm doing now. And I'm not necessarily seeing clients and practicing um, counseling right now in my current role, but I am using my experience as that counselor to, again, try and make it as easy for our clinicians to do their jobs and provide the best care and hold that safe space for their clients. Yeah, because like you said, it's really cyclical. So Mm -hmm. being able to help those clinicians give the best care to their patients Mm -hmm. so that patients can get the best care possible. Mm -hmm. Also a ripple effect. Um, If if your clients are able to feel more confident about themselves and their relationships, then that inspires them to share their experience with other people who may never have ever thought about going to counseling. And so, like I said, I know I keep coming back to this, but as administrators, if we just eliminate all of the barriers and are able to have clinicians feel like they can do their very best and be right there on that journey with the client, then more and more and more people will just get better. Yeah. And you mentioned really leading the future with this and mm-hmm. hoping that it'll change healthcare in general. So what are some changes that connections have done or that you'd like to see other healthcare organizations mm-hmm. do in the future? Yeah, so we have an entire committee on um, making sure that our employees feel cared for. So we give them birthday boxes and shout outs. And, and they're really good, by the way. <laughs> the they <boxes>. are. <laughs> Great job, Amber and Natalie. Yes. Um, so we we have an entire group of people just focused on doing this for our employees. Um, it's also really important for us as leaders to um, Austin calls it the wave principle. So if we're sitting in our office and an employee just walks by, then we haven't earned their trust for them to stop and say hi. We haven't created that safe place for them. And so what we're constantly working to do is just make sure that our leaders know the names of their employees, know the names of the team members in the building, and are actively just walking the building and saying, hey, how's it going? Anything that I can do for you today? So there are so many just tiny, small 
may seem like insignificant things that we can do to help limit that compassion fatigue. Um, but they're so important. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. it's such heavy work, like you mentioned, and mm-hmm. I can attest connections is so good at doing that. Like I've always felt so welcome, so seen and so heard. And like you said, everybody knows each other's name from day one and we're growing mm-hmm. so fast. So it's crazy mm-hmm. that that's so possible, but it is. Yeah. It's, it's super exciting to see, you know, that new person come in and feel just really welcomed. Um, I think our HR team does a great job at that. I get to see all of the new members towards the end of the first day of orientation and they're already just beaming. And so I'm like, well, we're going to talk about policies and procedures. I'm sorry, (laughs) we're going to make this fun. Um, But we have a just, we just have a good time all the time. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. whenever patients are going through their hardest parts of their mental health journey and clinicians are helping them with that. They need that. They need that mm-hmm. boost at the end of the day and to know that they have a team that supports them mm-hmm. and they don't have to carry that weight on their own. Absolutely. It is all about making sure that there's a safe place, safe place for everybody to land, our clients and our team members. This podcast is brought to you by Connections Wellness Group. Be sure to follow us at Connections Wellness Group on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok for daily content relating to mental wellness. And you mentioned the analogy of clinicians or healthcare workers being on the front lines. And that made me think of COVID and all the changes that came with that. So what thoughts do you have on burnout from your definition with COVID mm-hmm. and all of the changes that that brought on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a whole different um, a whole different thing when you bring COVID into it. I think about you know specifically hospital organizations and physicians and nurses, and they were they were just getting tired because their coworkers were getting sick and there weren't enough people to. Um, staff those positions and so again I think it's important to call it compassion fatigue Um, I have a friend that's a nurse that said you know I just can't put one more person on a ventilator Mm. Um, and it was important that the organization that she worked for really wrapped around their employees and made it kind of a 24-7 job again of their administrators to make sure that anything that you need I'm going to do everything that I can to get it for you so important yeah because that really tested the system that we have Mm -hmm. in america and around the world of that level of care and Mm -hmm. needing to adjust Mm -hmm. and i think it showed that our system is broken and so we have to adjust to this kind of new phase of healthcare that we're in so um I got this whole concept from a guy named Z-Dog MD. He's a YouTube personality. He's got a ton of great videos. Um, but he talks about healthcare in three different phases. So kind of before technology, after technology, and then now we're in this phase of healthcare where our job is to come closer to the patient. Mm. So healthcare 3.0, and that's just, again, eliminating those barriers, talking about burnout and what it really is. It's either moral injury or compassion fatigue. Um, And so this whole phase of healthcare that we're in now, and I think COVID really showed us that we have got to get to a place where there aren't so many barriers in providing good patient care. 
Absolutely. There's mm-hmm. so many barriers, financial, mm-hmm. wait times, mm-hmm. and just the way that the healthcare system in America in general can be so reactive instead of proactive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even thinking about like uh, insurance payers. So there are still insurance companies that have policies that have zero mental health benefits. Mm. And so, you know, you've got patients or clients, whatever you want to call them, that are either having to forego their treatment for their mental health struggles or potentially get even further into those because they have to get treatment and now they're financially burdened. And so um, I think it's just our job to demand change all the way around and eliminate everything that we can that gets in the way of just having that solid trusting, helping relationship with our patients. Mm. And whenever someone is experiencing moral injury, what do you, do you have recommendations for what they should do? Yeah. So each organization is going to have kind of that chain of command. So, um, you know, talking with your direct supervisors, escalating to HR if they need to, but every state, um, has also complaint, uh, employee complaint, boards, if you will. Mm -hmm. You can find that information on your state website. Um, If you have a national accreditation like the Joint Commission, they also have an office of complaints that you can uh, um, send your information to. Uh, But a lot of times the best thing to do is recognize I'm experiencing moral injury. I probably need to talk to somebody about it. Um, Don't make rash decisions about I'm done, I'm quitting. in the moment because it could be addressed of course unless there's a pattern of repeated offenses um but the most important thing is to talk to someone about it um be able to make that decision in a calm and collected frame of mind where you're not having um these rash thoughts go through your head where It's like this all or nothing. Um, But a lot of times the solution is to find a different organization to work for. Yeah, because like you said, if they're experiencing that in the first place, that means that there were all of these barriers placed Mm -hmm. or weren't placed that should have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then for compassion fatigue, what recommendations do you have for people with that? Mm -hmm. 100% find a therapist. Um, There are therapists that specialize in seeing other therapists. And so I would recommend talking with a professional about that, but also engaging in self-care is so important and it gets overused time and time again. Um, But self-care can be different for different people. For me, self-care is a solid nap, Uh, but for other people, it's reading a book or exercising. And so I think it's just important to really define what is self-care for you and engage in that. Yeah. And I love that you point out that it's different for everybody Mm -hmm. because it really is. There's different things that are going to make other people feel fully relaxed and ready to go back to work again. So Mm -hmm. because if they're not doing that self-care, then they're not going to be able to best serve their patients or Mm -hmm. clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. When you think about it, um, you're on an airplane getting ready for a flight. The flight, uh, not instructor, flight attendant uh, gives you directions and says, in the event of emergency, your oxygen mask will come down. Uh, Put your mask on first and then help the others around you. So if our cups aren't full, if we can't breathe, uh, then we can't take care of others in the best way. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some signs of compassion fatigue? Mm -hmm. So things that I 
noticed when I was experiencing compassion fatigue was um, different than what my boss is called burnout, quote unquote. Um, with burnout, it was, I don't want to go to work. How do I get out of this? Am I feeling okay? Is there a little bit of a cough? Maybe I could call in. Um, but with compassion fatigue, it was just more of a, I I really don't know if I can add another teenager to my caseload. Um, it was more about struggling to find help my clients find their way through the the challenges that they were facing. Mm -hmm. And so with compassion fatigue, I noticed that my ability to help them navigate that was diminishing. But with burnout, um, I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to be around. I did not want to go to work. So there's a big difference there for me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because compassion fatigue That's more of like, I'm giving so much. I don't think I can give anything else right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's when you can engage in that self-care talk with that professional, maybe even talk to your leader and say, Hey, can we limit this kind of client that I'm seeing? Or I'm, I'm going through a hard time in my relationship right now. And so working with so many couples is really difficult. Can we limit adding on that other kind of client? Um, so, so talking and being open with your leaders, if you feel like there is that safe space there to adjust how things are being done. And you mentioned with working in mental health that you can't imagine doing anything else. Mm-mm. You love it so much. Mm-hmm. What are some of the most fulfilling things for you? Um, I think for me, seeing the change in my client is great, but hearing about the subsequent change in all of their relationships is what's most fulfilling for me when you change you force the people around you to change some of that change may be positive um some may be negative you may be rejected um but hearing about through my client the way that all of their relationships are improving in some form or fashion is what's most rewarding for me I love that. And really seeing that huge change in their lives, Mm -hmm. not just with themselves, but all of the people around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some misconceptions people have about burnout? I think exactly what we've been talking about, that burnout is this thing that is unavoidable. It's going to happen. It's not an if but when thing in your career. Um, And if we adjust the way that we talk about burnout into compassion, fatigue, and moral injury, um, it leaves more room for the clinician's ability to heal. With compassion fatigue, again, you can speak to a therapist. We can adjust the way that that you are working with and who you're working with. Um, and with moral injury, we can put the onus on administrators and make sure that they are doing everything that they can to eliminate that. So I think that's the misconception that it's that it's not an if but when. It doesn't you don't have to experience burnout. You don't have to experience moral injury. If you seek out and look for those organizations that are really doing right by their employees, look at their glass door reviews, look at their indeed reviews, um, email some of the people that you see, if they've got them on a website, message them, talk with them. Um, 
if a friend is recommending that you work there, like that's the best word of mouth referral that there might be. So again, if we just adjust the way that we talk about burnout and split it up into these kind of two categories, compassion, fatigue, and moral injury. Yes, compassion, fatigue is probably not an if, but when, but moral injury doesn't have to be. Yeah, because like you said, that is more of the root of the organization. Mm -hmm. And if you're experiencing that several times in a row, it's probably not the best place for you to stay. Mm -hmm. But I love hearing you talk about that because I feel like our culture is that hustle culture. And people really do think that if you're not experiencing burnout, sometimes you're not working hard enough or it it really is something that's going to happen to you eventually. So hearing you say that is honestly such a relief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, You can work as hard as you want and never really feel accomplished. That's not burnout. That's that could be lots of different things, but probably moral injury in some form or fashion. Um, So just splitting it up and really calling it what it is, having the people that should be taking the ownership of the burnout um, and calling them out and saying, you are requiring me to violate my ethics and values and what I believe is true and right for my patients. Um, It really empowers the employees and helps them feel like um, there's a way out. And so if we just eliminate that, if we eliminate those barriers and we are not asking or requiring our clinicians to do things that they don't want to do, then it just doesn't exist. Yeah. I love that. It's as simple as that, right? It's as simple as that, everybody. (laughs) Write it down. You hear it here first. We need to have a LinkedIn article about this, uh, why burnout doesn't have to happen. It's not inevitable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Sydney, for coming on. This is honestly huge to hear about because (laughs) I went into this room thinking that burnout happens to everybody at some point and all that. But I loved hearing your explanation, and I really think this is going to change a lot of people's minds. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited that... We're on the forefront of that here and trying to do the best that we can. Um, But I am excited to kind of move into this new episode of healthcare where everybody else is joining in that fight as well. So thank you for having me. That's it. It was really nice to talk about. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Connections Chat podcast. If this episode resonated with you, please share and start the conversation with your network or support system. As our community is growing, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave us a review. And together, we will continue to break through the stigma surrounding mental illness.